All right, so we planted Scent Church last year because we were provoked by the fact that 61,000 people in the Cedar Valley don't go to church. The statistics tell us that 39% of the Cedar Valley go to church and 61% do not go to church. I was provoked by that. I said, God, we need more churches. We need to reach more people. I pray that there be more church plants because there's 61,000 who still need a church home. I'm confident that if you filled up every church in the Cedar Valley, there still wouldn't be enough room. Definitely not in our building. I think you can fit like 250 in the sanctuary, okay? That's a tiny percentage, right? But I was provoked by that. I said, God, help us to reach some of those 61,000 who don't have a church. Help us to do what we need to do to reach them. If we're going to effectively reach those 61,000, though, we need to be a church that actually loves Jesus. We need to be a church that is wholehearted committed to God. Because if people come in here and we don't really love Jesus, how the heck are we supposed to, I don't know if I should say heck, how the stink are we supposed to help them love Jesus? I don't know if that's any better either, but let's keep moving. How are we supposed to help people love Jesus if we don't love Jesus? That's the question. We can't lead people to someone we don't know. And something I've found over the years is one of the best ways to get to know Jesus is to be in community with other Christians. One of the best ways to get to know Jesus is to be in, in fellowship with other Christians. So fellowship is just a churchy word for being with other people, okay? If we want to be like Jesus, we have to get around people who love Jesus too. And this is why we have Sunday morning gatherings every weekend. It's not just because if you come, you get a brownie point from God, right? I don't think there's any brownie points being distributed because you showed up today. Instead, we come here because it's very practical. We know we need each other if we're going to grow into the people that God has called us to be. We need each other to encourage and challenge each other if we're going to be able to finish this race that God has called us to run. Okay, not only that, we have small groups every week because we need a smaller group of people who we can really share our lives with, who we can really share stuff. Because I don't think you want to come up here today and be like, hey, I'm struggling with this sin in front of everybody. If you want to, we can talk about that afterwards. But point is, we for the most part, would probably only want to confess our sins to a few people, right? So that's what small group is for, to confess our sins, to challenge each other, to encourage each other. That's also why we believe in going out to eat and coffee and having people over to our houses together. We believe that fellowship is so important if we're going to grow into the people that God has called us to be. I personally realized the importance of community during my sophomore year of college. Okay, I was in this thing called Chi Alpha it's a campus ministry. I don't know if you've heard of it. Some of you have. It's our, it's our campus ministry connected to our church. I was a part of it, and we were starting small groups that year. And the campus pastor said, hey, man, would you want to lead a small group? I said, hey, man, I've never been in a small group. He's like, you can do it. He didn't give me a lot of instruction, but he said, you know, start a small group. I'm like, okay, sounds good. So I invited a bunch of guys to my dorm room, which, you know, dorm rooms are about this big. So about like that. It's like a box right there. So I invited a bunch of guys in. We had 12 guys, and there was August something. It was like 90 degrees outside. There's no air conditioning in Norrin Hall. I don't know if there is now, but there wasn't then, and it really stunk. We're all in a circle, and I'm just like, I don't know what to do, so I'm just going to share my story. So I share my story. I share some struggles. I'm like, I struggle with this. I struggle with that. Jesus saved me from that. Jesus is helping me uh, with this. I said, would you guys be willing to share your story too? So they all go around, and they share their stories, and it was a powerful, powerful moment as 12 guys are sweating it out and crying it out and just sharing our stories with each other. And God bound us together that day, and it continued throughout the year. As each week we would gather together, we would study the scriptures together, and we would confess our sins. We'd be honest. There was a rule. You can't be fake here. You have to be honest and real, including the leader, because sometimes leaders like to act like they have it all together, right? We don't. Just newsflash. We don't have it all together. So that was the rule. We would share our struggles, and we always said, hey, what's said here stays here. It's this confidential space where we can really share our struggles. And it was incredible that year as God set some of us free from pornography, 
Okay? That's awkward in church, I know. But he set us free as he helped us to read our Bibles every day, as he helped us to share our faith, as we reached more people with the gospel. It was incredible as God strengthened us as a community and we had each other to lean on. There were some weeks even when I had a tough week and I would be able to go to small group as the leader and say, I'm struggling this week. Can you guys pray for me? And then they would come around and start to pray for me and I would feel the strength of God. That's what community is for. It's to help us become the people that God has called us to be. It's to have a group of people who can challenge you when you're being an idiot and a group of people who can encourage you when you're just a little bit sad. Right? We all need a little bit of encouragement sometimes. That's why we do it. That's why we have services. That's why we have small because we want to give you opportunities to be with other Christians if you're a follower of Jesus. And also, we want to give people an opportunity in the Cedar Valley who don't know Jesus to come in and see the community of God working together and say, that is really beautiful what is happening in that church. I want some of that. I believe the best witness to the world is to see a group of people who actually live out the kingdom of God. A group of people who really know each other, like know everything. They're not fake, but they also love each other. That's so rare in the world today for people to really know everything about you, all your struggles, and to say, I still love you, even though you can be kind of dumb sometimes. That's what I'm praying for, that people would see our church and they would say, wow, these people are really living out the kingdom of God. I want to be a part of that. That's why we do it. That's why we gather. And there's a desperate need right now in our world for community and for intimacy. According to a 2018 survey from The Economist and the Kaiser Family Foundation, 22% of U.S. adults say that they feel lonely. I'm sure that number is much higher now. That was in 2018, right? Now we're in a pandemic. A 2019 survey found that that 61% of American adults feel lonely. That's much higher, right? And the research tells us that this loneliness is not good for us physically, emotionally, or spiritually. The consequences of increased loneliness is staggering. You know, social isolation gives us a 26% higher risk of dying. Just being alone gives you a 26% higher risk of dying. And that number jumps to 32% if you live alone. A UCLA study discovered that social isolation can trigger cellular changes in your body that can result in us having a higher risk of heart disease, stroke, uh, certain types of cancer, and Alzheimer's. Social isolation, social isolation spikes our chances of mental illness as well. Some of us know that, right? For thousands of years, humans have known the importance of doing life in community. We believed in the importance of committing ourselves to other people. You know, many houses would have three generations or sometimes four under one roof. But now we're becoming more isolated, more individualistic than ever before. We think we can do it on our own. In fact, we are the loneliest generation on record, even before the pandemic. And it's been perpetuated and accelerated this last year. We are increasingly giving in to the lie that we can do life alone and be okay. And this has even crept into the church as many followers of Jesus think they can pursue Jesus with, or Jesus without being a part of his church. Our prayer is that Sent Church can be a place where you experience authentic, life-giving community. We pray it can be a place where you don't have to do life alone, but you have people who have your back. We need some people who have our back, don't we? In fact, community is one of our core values at Sent Church. We desperately want to be a community where where each of us can have genuine friendships, where we can feel at home, where we can be ourselves, where we can be lovingly encouraged to become the people that God's created us to be. 
Okay, so with that said, we are continuing our sermon series whole heart. This has been a fun journey so far. And this sermon series is all about spiritual disciplines. Okay, so what are spiritual disciplines? Well, spiritual disciplines are practices that help us draw closer to Jesus. They're practices that help us give our whole hearts to him, like Bible reading, prayer, confession, all these different things. And this week, we're talking about the spiritual discipline of fellowship, the commitment to say, I'm going to practice this discipline of being with other believers every single week. Okay, so so far, we've talked about prayer. We've talked about fasting, scripture reading, uh, silence and solitude, and worship. And now today, like I said, we're talking about fellowship. Okay, so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Okay, the book of Hebrews is probably the most, or probably the toughest New Testament book to interpret and understand other than the book of Revelation. Okay, so the book of Revelation gets kind of cray-cray, so some of you, when you were kids, just wanted to read it because it looked like sci-fi. You're like, yeah, stuff's blowing up. Cool stuff's happening. Okay, so that one's complicated too, but, but Hebrews is probably the second most complicated, and it's one of those books where I've been reading it in my Bible reading plan this last week, and I'll read it, I'm like, I don't know what the heck just happened, so I'll go back and read it again. I'm like, I still don't know what happened. I'll read it again. Has anyone been there in the Bible before? Yeah, okay, so I'm not the only one. I'm glad we don't have all Bible scholars here who know it so well that they just read it once and they're good. But, but, but we don't know who the writer to the Hebrews is. We have no idea. Usually these letters will say, hey, I'm such and such. I'm writing to this person. But this letter does not say, so we have no clue. But, but the thing we do know, we know that this book was written to Jewish Christians who had previously been under the old covenant, so they had like sacrifice animals and all this stuff to be right with God. And this writer is trying to say, hey, there's a new covenant now that Jesus has inaugurated through his life, death, and resurrection. And this letter has several purposes, including encouraging these Christians to persevere in the midst of suffering, including warning against strange teachings, including showing them how Jesus in his sacrifice on the cross is superior to the Old Testament law and the Old Testament sacrifices that, uh, that Moses implemented. And just before we get to the text, the writer boldly says, he says, Jesus came into the world to be a one-time sacrifice for all. Because of Jesus, you don't need to keep sacrificing animals every single year to atone for your sins. He says, the blood of animals cannot take away sin permanently, but the blood of Jesus can. He then shows that Jesus has made it possible for us to have relationship with God. He's made it possible for us to walk in God's presence And we no longer need to rely on priests or human priests to make way for the presence of God, but instead we can walk with the Holy Spirit 24-7. Come on, somebody. It's in this context that the writer urges us to do three things. He says, okay, boldly approach God's presence in your daily life. He's saying, hey, if you have access to God, you should meet with God every single day. That's something you should do. You should talk to him throughout your day. And then he also encourages us to hold fast to sound biblical teaching. Okay, biblical teaching. We want to preach the word of God. He says, hold fast to the word of God. But then he says one more thing, and this is one we struggle with in 21st century America. He says, commit yourselves to one another. He says, place a high priority on being together as the people of God. If you want to be a people who walk in God's presence, if you want to be a people who persevere in your faith, you've got to be with other Christians. All right, let's read it. Verse 24. He says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works and not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. All right, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, we ask you to speak to us this morning. Spirit of God, we just want to give you permission to say what you want to say in this place. God, I pray that you would speak to every single heart in this room in the way that they need to be spoken to. God, I pray that I'd be able to, to just get out of the way and let you speak. So Holy Spirit, 
speak now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, first point. Sorry, I shouted that. All right, so here we go. The first point is we have a responsibility to help, or no, to push each other closer to Jesus. If you follow Jesus, if you don't follow Jesus, there's no responsibility to push other people closer to Jesus, right? But if you do follow Jesus, you have a responsibility. There's a mandate on your life to push other Christians closer to Jesus. The writer urges us to be intentional about pushing each other closer to Jesus. And he views this as a sacred responsibility. It says again in verse 24, it says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Okay, the word consider here is important. Okay, consider, what does that mean? Well, so when he's saying let us consider, he's saying you need to have some, rec- or some concentrated thought about this. You need to actually think about how to stir up one another. He says be intentional about helping your brothers and sisters in Christ get closer to Jesus. He's saying you won't just naturally do this. It's not like you can just like say, hey, I'm not going to think about it at all. I'm not going to think about other people, and it's just going to work out. People are going to get pushed closer to Jesus. No, he says you need to think about it. You need to get a plan for how to push your brothers and sisters in Christ closer to Jesus. And then he says how to stir up one another. What's he mean by stir up? Well, when he says stir up, this word, it, it means incitement or provoking. Okay, so he's saying think about how to provoke your fellow Christians to love and good works. And then obviously he's saying there are two love and good works. What's that mean? Well, love, in the Greek, that word is agape. And that word is the same, or the same word that the writers used to refer to the love that compelled Jesus to lay down his life for other people. Okay, so he's saying you need to provoke other Christians to lay down their lives for their friends. You need to pro- or provoke other Christians to be more loving. And not just loving, but also good works, which what is that? That is holiness. That's doing acts of good deeds. It's being like Jesus. So Okay, so my translation of this would be more like this. We must be intentional about provoking each other to be more loving and holy. I'm not saying you guys should shout at each other. Like, be more loving. That's not what I'm saying. Provoking can kind of make you think about that. But I'm saying we have to be intentional about actually doing things that help our fellow Christians be more loving. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have a responsibility to consider how you can take actions to help your brothers and sisters in Christ become like Jesus. There's a responsibility to and for one another. We can't do the Christian life alone. We can't just do us and have other people do them. We need to be in the game. We need to be engaged with helping our brothers and sisters in Christ grow closer to Jesus. Okay, so so when I think about this kind of relationship, I think about my relationship with a pastor named Jonathan Bartholo. He pastors Cross Point Church in Waverly. He's going to preach here in the summer. I'm excited for that. But he was my Chi Alpha pastor at UNI. He's the guy who said, hey, lead small group when you haven't been in a small group. We'll talk about how smart he was doing that, but that's another conversation. But, but he now sits on the board of Scent Church, okay? So everything I'm considering with Scent Church, I have to bring to him and say, hey, what do you think? Sometimes he's like, hey, that's a great idea. And sometimes he's like, no, that's a stupid idea, okay? And he tells me honestly, this is what he says. He says, I'll get behind you no matter what, but I just want to ask you, can I speak honestly to you? I'm like, well, don't really want you to, but sure, go for it. And he always does that, not only with, you know, like decisions for Scent Church, but also in my own life. Like when he sees things in my life where he's like, hey, you're not acting like Christ, they'll say, can I speak into your life right now? He'll ask me gently, and then he'll lay the hammer on me. And I'm always like, oh, did you have to go there, man? But I'm always so grateful that he challenges me and that he's willing to tell me the truth. When someone stops telling you the truth or stops challenging you, that probably means you're too prideful and not teachable, and they're done trying to encourage you. So if people are challenging you, that is actually good. That means that you are creating a space where people feel comfortable to do that. Okay, we all need some Jonathans in our lives. 
And we also need people who we can be Jonathans to, right? So we need people who mentor us. We need people who we can mentor. We also need peers who we can kind of run after God together with. So with that said, what's it look like to stir up one another to love and good works? Well, as I considered, as the writer says to consider, as I considered myself this week what that means, I came up with two ideas. The first is this. If we want to stir up one another to love and good works, we have to set a good example. Okay, we have to set an example of what it looks like to live like Christ. If we want to stir others up to be holy and loving, we have to be holy and loving. I think that should be obvious, but I think sometimes we forget it. We're like, I just want to go and tell everyone what to do, but I'm not going to be holy or loving, right? We have to start with ourselves. Before you can lead other people, you have to start with you. Our example, if it's Christ-like, will naturally stir others up. I'm telling you, when you live like Jesus, when you live like the Son of God, it incites others to be more loving and holy. It should, at least those who follow him. That's part of the reason why I believe that every person, when they can, all right, if you get stuck in a snow or stuck in the ditch or a snow bank or you're sick, I get it. But every person, when they can, should be here on Sunday mornings and be in small group. I believe that because your example needs to be here. I need to see Jesus in you. I need you to encourage me by your example. There's people in this church who need to see you and see your example of how you're living like Christ. We need to be together. If we're not together, we can't set a good example for each other. We need to be, okay. I could go off right now. I'm not going to. Calm down. Calm down, buddy. Okay, so sometimes we think that church is all about what happens up here. No, that's not the way it should be, at least. It's about what happens out here and how you guys encourage each other. There's something that you could say to someone in the lobby that just really provokes them in a good way. Like, wow, that's amazing. We need to be here, guys. We need to be committed to this. And as we're setting an example, we should consider how our choices affect others. Okay, so you may feel the freedom to participate in certain activities that don't cause you to sin, but could cause someone else to sin. Okay, we must be careful that our choices don't cause other people to stumble. This is one of the reasons why I don't drink alcohol. I don't believe having a little bit of alcohol is a sin. Okay, so if you're a wine drinker, like, look at me with my wine. Don't throw something at me, okay? (laughs) But it is a sin to get drunk, okay? So I'm just going to say that. If you think you can get drunk, no, it's a sin, okay? As a spiritual leader, I don't want people who struggle with drunkenness to see me drinking out at B-dubs with a tall boy or whatever and then fall back into drunkenness because they're like, the pastor drinks. If he drinks, I can certainly drink. That's just my conviction. I'd rather set an example that they can follow and have success with. I want people to be able to follow my life, and if they follow it, they're going to have great success in following Jesus no matter what they follow. I'm not saying you have to do that, okay? So if you're like, you love it, hey, as long as you're not getting drunk, that's your choice. But I'm saying if you want to set an example where nobody could stumble, I think that's a decent pathway to pursue. We need to to remember that every action we take has the potential to impact others. And we must be aware of how our behavior affects other people. We are not living in a little isolated box. What we do affects other people in a positive or negative way. And we have a responsibility to stir each other closer to Jesus. And another way to do this is to speak the truth in love to one another and be willing to challenge each other with a loving spirit. Ephesians 4.15 says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Okay, we must love people enough to tell them the truth. And might I add that you must be humble enough to receive the truth when it's given to you. It's more fun sometimes to give the truth. It's not as fun to get it. But we, we got to have it both ways, Okay. And we shouldn't do this in a harsh way, okay? So if you, like, love it when you get a challenge, somebody like, yeah, you're probably off. (laughs) You're like, yeah, let me tell this guy how it is. You probably got a log in your eye that you need to remove first, 
before you remove the speck in their eye. I think Jesus said that, right? Matthew 7. Judge not lest you be judged. Remove the log from your eye first, and then you can, then you can take the speck out of their eye. But instead, you should come to people with a loving spirit, remembering how you struggle as well, and just saying, hey, do with gentleness, clarity, grace, and just say, hey, I see this in your life. I just want to encourage you in this way that this might be preventing you from being all that God's called you to be. And this often looks like sharing God's word with each other, saying, hey, it says in the word, don't do that. Or it says in the word, you should do this. It also looks like coming to each other and reminding each other of our calling and responsibility. It's kind of like calling each other up higher and saying, God made you for more than that. God's called you to be a leader in his kingdom. He's called you to do this. For example, if you have a friend in small group who's been clubbing, I know that's a big thing here at St. Church. I'm kidding. It's a joke. Have a conversation with them and remind them that God has called them to a life of holiness and remind them of their potential calling. Say, Jesus has created you to be a leader for his kingdom. You're better than this. Don't come down on people, but call them up. If you have a friend that's been skipping church, which the last couple of weeks kind of makes sense. It was like negative 40, okay? But if they've been skipping church when it's like 70 degrees out, sunny, we got like free iPads in the lobby. Um, that's a joke, okay? So reach out and make sure that they're doing okay and remind them of this passage in Hebrew. Say, do not neglect meeting together as is the habit of some. And if they get mad at you, just be like, hey, it was him, not me. And we don't know who it is, but it's some guy in here. He wrote that and it wasn't me, okay? Don't do it with the spirit of pride. Don't do it with the spirit of judgment, but do so with an understanding of your sin and with understanding that you could easily fall into the same stuff. Whenever I've had a harsh spirit with someone, I seem to struggle or struggle with that same thing like two days later. It's really weird. It's like God opposes the proud or something. It's like I say, you idiot, don't do this. And then in like two days, I'm like, oh my gosh, God, help me. I am struggling. So be humble about it, okay? All right, so our responsibility is not only to challenge each other, though, it's also to encourage each other. Verse 25b says, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Okay, second point is we have a responsibility to encourage one another. Okay, when the writer calls us to encourage one another, he's saying, they're saying we should strengthen and comfort each other. He's saying we should instruct each other. I've heard it said that encouragement gives people the courage to be the person that God's called them to be. Mmm, that's good. It gives them the courage to keep going. Encouragement lifts other people up. There's a holy responsibility for every person who follows Jesus to build others up and strengthen them. To encourage another person is perhaps the highest human duty. In Job 4, 4, it says this. Eliphaz is talking to Job. He's encouraging him. He says this. He says, Your words have upheld him who was stumbling, and you have made... Er, sorry, I get... I lost my place. And you have made firm the feeble knees. Okay, so Job's word of encouragement helped others stay on their feet. Eliphaz is saying, hey, dude, you helped me stay on my feet. Now I'm going to help you stay on your feet. Our words should do the same. We should commit ourselves to keeping other people on their feet. We should go throughout the day and say, God, who's falling over that I need to pick up today? Ooh, that'd be fun. We should commit ourselves to helping people stay on their feet. Ephesians 4, 29 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Okay, so we should make it our goal to let no corrupting talk come out of our mouths, no vulgarity, no slandering, no cutting down. Instead, we should seek to build others up and encourage each other. We want to continually seek to see the good in others and call it out. Say, I see the gold in you. Call it out and encourage them. Build them up. And not only that, we should be gentle with each other and 
and affectionate towards one another. First Thessalonians 2 says this. It says, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. Who in this room is very dear to you? Okay, if you're new, you're like, I don't know, weirdo. But if you've been in this church, who is dear to you in this place? Someone should be dear to you. Someone should be like, you're like a nursing mother. Dudes, you're like, what? It's there, okay? It's in the text, not me, okay? You should be like a nursing mother taking care of each other, being gentle, being affectionately desirous of each other. That's our calling as followers of Jesus, to care for one another. I think every person should have a group of people who can encourage them and strengthen them. There was one time I was really struggling. It was just a week where I felt like the devil was like popping me, like just left and right trying to take me out. And I got to this point where I was absolutely overwhelmed. I was hurting. I was deeply hurting. I was just trying to carry it on my own. I felt like the Lord said to me, he said, you need to, or to reach out to some of your mentors and some of your peers and even some of the people you're leading and ask for prayer. So I typed up this text. I shot it out to like 15 people and it was crazy as they began to text me back. Some of them started calling me right away and just started encouraging me. It was like this burden was lifted off my shoulders. I just began to weep before God. I was like, oh my goodness, this is what I needed this week. It was a group of people who could carry my burdens with me. Guys, we're not meant to carry our burdens alone. If you're trying to do it alone, stop. There are people in this church, there are people, if this isn't your church, in a different church, whatever, that, that want to come alongside you and carry your burdens. Let them help you. Let people encourage you. With that said, what does it look like to encourage others? Well, we must com commit ourselves to telling others what we love about them. We must call out their potential. I've said that many times, but it has to be a commitment where we say we're going to encourage people. Every time we see something we love about someone, we're going to tell them. Okay, so if you think, wow, like I think Derek Joppe is in Welcome Center today. Is that true? Yes, he is right here, Derek Joppe. He'll be out there. So when you fill out a connect card, you get to talk to this guy. Okay, so when he's out there and he's passing out those T-shirts and he's doing it just like, boom, Boom, passing them out. You encourage them. Say, wow, man, you passed those t-shirts out really, really well. It's incredible. <laughs> so every time you think something positive about someone, share it with them. Don't keep it to yourself. Don't hoard that compliment. I think we should also be a safe place for people to confess their sins. Be this non-anxious presence. Be this non-condemning presence where people feel like they can bring their struggles to you. But also go to other people and confess your sins to them. In James 5, 16, it says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Confess your sins so that you may be healed. If you're broken this morning, if you're struggling, if there's something that's tearing your life apart, confess it to someone and have a righteous person pray for you that you may be healed. God wants you to be healed. God wants you to be restored, but you can't do it on your own. You have to share it with somebody. And we should also be committing to spotting people who are down, and speaking words of life over them, or speaking words of life over them. We should carry each other's burdens in prayer and through being supportive. If we do this, we will live a life of encouragement. Okay, so we've seen in our text that, that God's calling us to be a people who challenge each other. He's calling us to be people who encourage each other. But how is this supposed to happen? In what context can this happen? Well, I'm glad you asked. In verse 25, verse, or verse 25, uh, the first part, he says, okay, so it says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works and not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. Some of you are like, as is the habit of me. I'm just playing with you. But encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Okay, third point, last point. You're all like, thank you. He's going to shut up soon. If we want to be stirred and encouraged we, and do the same for others, we must commit to meeting together. 
You're like, I came to church today and he's telling me that I haven't been here enough. Forgive me, okay? I'm just trying to preach the word. It says this, the only way we can practice fellowship is if we actually meet together. This is a prophetic message for the American church. Over the last few decades, we have been led to believe that Christianity is something we can do in isolation. It's something we can consume from our homes and just take in content. That's not what Christianity is. Just as technology has enabled us to do so many things from our homes, like shopping, ordering food, and even working, we've been led to think that that church is something we can just do from home without engaging other humans, and it can be a permanent solution. This obviously can be a temporary solution during COVID. If you're high risk, if you're at home online, I'm glad you're watching. I'm not condemning you, right? So don't get that from me. But I'm saying that this should not be the permanent solution. We need to be together in person, I would add. We often get online, we grab our favorite worship music, we grab our favorite preacher, and we just try to follow Jesus by ourselves. But this is not what Christianity is, biblically speaking. Christianity is chasing after Jesus with everything you have alongside a community that just knows everything about you and still loves you. Where two or three are gathered in my name, Jesus says, I am there with them. There's something about two or three being gathered together that attracts the presence of Jesus. Following Jesus is best done with people you actually know. It's best done when you can worship with people you know. Like, we're together today, worshiping together. And you're like, hey, I actually know that guy. And we're worshiping God together. We know each other. We're going after him together. I believe it's best done to be taught the word by someone you know, right? Sometimes the church gets too large. It's hard to, or to know the pastor, but at least know his or her heart as you listen to them week after week and spend time in their church. It's best done when you can confess your sins to each other or to trusted friends, not just online. I don't know if there's like confessions online on Facebook Live, like, hey, I'm struggling with this. That's pretty hard to do, right? It's best done when you can actually share with someone and, and pray for each other. The point is, Christianity is best done when you can actually do it with other people in the flesh. Okay, we see this in the book of Acts. These early Christians did everything together, and, and as they did, the Holy Spirit moved powerfully in their midst and miraculously expanded and grew the church. It says this in, in Acts 2, 42 through 47. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. And many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is our model. To devote ourselves to teaching and spending time together and breaking bread and praying. They even went so far as to share their possessions with each other. Okay, so I'm just saying, bring all your possessions here and we'll all choose what we want. No, I'm joking. But, but they shared their possessions. They did not neglect meeting together. It actually seems like they met together every day. It says, and day by day they attended the temple together. I know you're busy. I know I'm busy. We, or stuff comes up sometimes. But I think the least we can do, when we look at the book of Acts, the, the least we can do is be together once a week on Sunday mornings for an hour, sometimes an hour and a half if it gets crazy. And I also think we can, or can commit ourselves to being together in small group once a week. I think this should be our starting point. Over the last few decades, church attendance has just shot down. It's went from being something that Christians do every week to something they do once or twice a month, if even. This is not the biblical model. Being with other believers should be our top priority. It should be the first thing to go on your schedule, and you should protect that day. Say, nothing is going to supersede this. And I would take it further to say small groups should be right there with it. 
our fathers and our mothers, our grandfathers and our grandmothers, some of you are here today, at a minimum, they were at church on Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, Wednesday nights. They probably cleaned the church at a different time throughout the week. That was a joke, I don't, but nobody laughed. Okay, so now <laughs> we have a tough time getting people to come to church once a week. I'm telling you, this isn't just so our attendance can go up, okay? So hear me. That's not why I'm doing this. I just want you to grow closer to Jesus. I want you to be here with God. I'm convinced that, that this has changed because previous generation had a greater sense of duty in just doing the right thing. They had this sense of responsibility. They said, hey, it's the right thing to do, so I'm going to do it even when I don't feel like it. We, on the other hand, often only like to do things we're passionate about. I'm not really feeling it today. I stubbed my toe, so I can't go to church. <laughs> If we're not feeling like going to church or it's difficult, we might skip. If we've had a long day of work and don't feel like going to small group, we might skip. If we're feeling depressed or anxious, we might skip, which actually that's the time when you should be there the most so people can encourage you. Come on, somebody. If you're feeling depressed or anxious, these people are here to encourage you. Get in church. Sorry, that one got me fired up. I don't know why. Okay, these are times when we need to lean into community the most. When you're struggling, that's when you need to be here. It's not like, hey, I got to figure it out, hunker down in my room with a blanket over my head for six weeks to figure it out. No, get with God's people. That's what they're there for, to encourage you, to challenge you, to strengthen you, to pray for you, and the Spirit of God will be there with you as two or three are gathered in the name of Jesus. We must fight against the temptation to not do anything that's hard. Our passions certainly matter, and I want you to have your heart in it. I hope you want to be here, but we also need a sense of duty. And we need some grit to do things even when they're hard. There's some Saturday nights that I don't want to preach the next day. I don't feel like it. I don't feel like pouring my heart out for 45 minutes. Does that mean I don't go? Well, the church would probably close because the pastor wouldn't be there. No, I have to be here. I don't have a choice. It's my job, I know. But it's also my calling, and your calling is to not neglect meeting together. Mm, come on, that was good. That was good right there. Come on. My calling may be to be a pastor. Your calling is not to... Den- and not to neglect meeting together as is the habit of some. We're all called to be here. We're all called to be in God's house and be with other believers. Being together consistently is important. You know, it's not just because you're supposed to be here like, oh, it's, it's a religious thing. I'm supposed to be here like, so God's not mad. That's not the point, okay? It's because it's in the context of community that each believer can be encouraged and challenged to or to grow closer to Christ. And when you're avoiding community, you can avoid challenge. You can avoid accountability. No one's going to say anything to you because you're by yourself. If you're avoiding community, you can actually avoid encouragement too because someone might see you here down and be like, hey, I need to encourage that person. Or the Holy Spirit might speak to them and say, hey, can you share this word with them? But if you're not here, that can't happen. Sure, they could text you, but, but there's something about being in proximity with each other. And it's not just about you being encouraged and challenged. It's also about you encouraging and challenging other people. Every time you don't come to church, every time you skip small group, you're robbing the rest of the group from something that you could have brought to the table that night or that day. There has never been and there never, and there never will be another you. You have a unique contribution that you bring to the body of believers. I can speak for this church when I say we need you. We need your heart, your passions, your voice. And when you neglect meeting together, you don't only hurt your own spiritual growth, but you hurt other spiritual growth. Go against the grain of only doing stuff you're excited about and commit to the sacred duty of being with other believers. Obviously, again, in this COVID season, if you're high risk, keep doing it at home the best you can. But once the cases are down, once it's safe, get back here online, people. I want you back. Come on. Some of you haven't been here yet, but I want you here, okay? 
This morning, the writer of the Hebrews is urging us, if we're going to persevere in our faith, if we're going to enter into God's presence, we need to be together. And we need to encourage each other. We need to stir one another up. Let's be a church where nobody sits on the bench. Let's be a church where no one does things in isolation, but instead we're all engaged and committed to this. This isn't some religious obligation. It's absolutely vital that if we're going to be a people of God's presence who go the distance in our faith, we have to be together. We cannot do life alone. Our main idea this morning is this. If we want to give our whole hearts to Jesus, we must commit ourselves to fellowship. If we want to give our whole hearts to Jesus, we must commit ourselves to fellowship. That's the big idea that I want you to get this morning. There's some of you who you're here or you're online watching and you've been committed to fellowship, okay? You're like sitting here the whole time like, yeah, pastor, tell that other person they need to be here, okay? If that's you, if you're honest, I think it can be hard at times to be committed to fellowship. If you're honest with yourself, you know you're supposed to be here, but, but sometimes it's hard. Maybe, you know, someone's hurt you and it's hard to be around that person. Or maybe you just struggle to be around other people. Maybe you're an introvert. Or maybe you're a really busy person and giving God your Sundays is just a really tough thing. I want to encourage you that, that your presence is making a difference in this community. You being here, you committing to this is making a difference. And Jesus wants to encourage you. He wants to say that, that community is worth it, even when it's hard. You cannot do this on your own. And every time you're here and you're committed to other believers, you are not only receiving something from the Lord, but you're also adding value to this community. Continue to make this a priority. Continue to be with other people and maybe even take it a step further. Maybe invite someone out to coffee. Maybe join a small group or serve on the dream team. There's others, yeah, come on. And there's others (laughs) that you've been struggling with community and you're either meeting with other believers inconsistently or you're not really meeting with them at all. Or maybe you've just been engaged online. Or maybe you're an every other week church attender. I love you. If that's you, it's okay. You're my friend. And maybe you, you come to church, but you haven't joined a small group. I don't know what your story is, but Jesus wants to encourage you today as well. If you want to be all that God has called you to be, you have to commit to community. It's an, it, it's an essential. It's not an option. If you want to be a fully formed disciple of Jesus, you have to commit to community. And I'm not saying you can't miss a week, right? If you have something out of town or you're sick or it's negative 60 outside, you never know. I'm not saying you can't miss a week. So hear me out. This is not about legalism, right? I'm saying this commitment to say, I am going to be with God's people. I'm going to put this on my calendar first. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be with the people of God. You need other people if you're going to be everything that God's called you to be. I encourage you, think about joining a small group. We have small groups. There's still room in our small groups. You can see them online at wearesent.church slash small groups. You can sign up today, right? Join a small group. Say, hey, I'm going to be back next week. I was planning on skipping for four weeks, but I'm coming back next week. I don't know what God's calling you to do, but hear his voice today and then do whatever he tells you to do. And finally, or finally, there might be some people here today who you don't know Jesus. You know, maybe you once knew him and you walked away or you've never committed yourself to him. You never experienced the beauty of Christian community because you've never been a Christian. So you're like, dude, what are you talking about? How am I supposed to do this? I believe this morning that Jesus wants to be your Lord. Jesus wants to save you from your sins. Maybe you're feeling the weight of your sins today and you're like, wow, I need forgiveness. I need a new heart. I need a new spirit. And Jesus is here right now. Where two or three are gathered, he's here with us. The Holy Spirit's here. And he wants to make you a new creation. He wants to to come and live on the inside of your heart. 
And the only way this is possible is because Jesus himself came to earth and he paid that one time sacrifice for all where all people who put their faith in Jesus can be saved because Jesus spilled his blood on the cross for us. We no longer need to bring animals to the altar and sacrifice them to, or to atone for our sins. But now Jesus has said, I'm gonna lay my life out there for you. And all you gotta do, it's really easy. All you gotta do is confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you'll be saved. It's the best gift you've ever received. But for some of you, the gift is sitting there and you have yet to open it. This morning, Jesus wants you to invite him to live in your heart. He wants you to make him your Lord. He wants you to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead because that's the thing. He didn't just die. He went into the grave. And then three days later, he came up out of that grave and he showed that death, sin, hell, and the grave does not have the final word, but he does. Okay, COVID-19 does not have the final word, right? It does not have the final word. Tribalism does not have the final word. Jesus has the final word because he defeated death and sin. And this morning, all you got to do is just trust in him and he will save you. Okay, so if you'd bow your heads and close your eyes, I want to give you a chance to do that this morning. If you're here and you're like, I need to put my trust in Jesus. I need forgiveness. I need to become a son or daughter of God. I want to give you a chance to do that. Because how we do it here at Sun Church is we just kind of count to three and then we let you slip up your hand to heaven saying, Jesus, I want to be your kid. I want to be saved. It's our way of doing that thing where we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. It's our way of doing that. Okay, so I'm gonna count to three. And when I do, I want you to boldly slip up your hand to God and say, Jesus, I need to be saved. Jesus, I wanna put my trust in you. Okay, so if that's you, on three, slip up your hand. One, two, three, all across the room. See those hands, I see that hand, I see that hand, I see the hand. Is there anybody else this morning? All right, let's pray. So just pray in your heart as I pray. Pray in your heart, say, Jesus, save me this morning. Maybe you didn't raise your hand because you're nervous. You can still pray for forgiveness, right? You don't have to raise your hand. All right, Jesus, this morning, we are asking you to be our king. God, we pray that this church would be a church that is submitted to you. And God, I pray that every heart in this room would be submitted to you as well. God, we pray for forgiveness to rain out in this place. I pray for people who are bringing in some struggles this morning, that you would wash them as white as snow. God, I pray for shame to be gone in the name of Jesus. God, I pray for people to be set free today from sin. Jesus, this morning, we're asking you to be our Lord. We're asking you to forgive us. And we just thank you, Lord, that it says in your word, if we confess our sins, you're faithful and you're just to forgive us of our sins. We're receiving that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus is calling us to be a community that is in this together. He wants us to be a family. He wants us to encourage each other when we're down. He wants us to challenge each other when we're being a little dumb. If you want to make a commitment to prioritize the community, I want to give you a chance to do that as well. So bow your heads and close your eyes one more time. We're going to have one more way to respond this morning. If you want to say, Jesus, I want to commit myself to community. I want to commit myself to being with your people. I want to commit myself to encouraging others and challenging others. Can you raise your hand right now to heaven? I want to pray for you. See those hands. Tons of hands going up in this room right now. I just want to pray for you. Say, Jesus, help me to commit myself to other people. Help me not to do life alone. God, this morning we come to you and we recognize that people are messy and life is hard, community is hard, but God, we're gonna commit ourselves to it. God, we're committing ourselves and saying, we are gonna be in this together. When the world is telling us to be isolated and do things on our own, we're saying, no, we're gonna be committed to each other. So Holy Spirit, help us to be that church. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, stand here for you right now. We're gonna worship Jesus one more time. I just wanna encourage you this morning, give him everything you got. Give him everything you got in worship. I love you guys.